The code is more what you call guidelines than actual rules. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, a daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis. And I'm Heather Artis. Thanks for joining us for Minute 31 of The Curse of the Black Pearl. Don't forget we have a Pirates of the Caribbean Minute contest on the way with details that will be announced on Monday. So be sure to tune in or check out our Facebook page. I'm sure we'll post the details there as well. It's a simple thanks for listening, so we're going to have some fun with that. That'll be great fun. Well, for somebody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or a few people. We'll give you the details on next Monday. So tune in. In the previous minute, we watched the Black Pearl sneak into Port Royal Harbor and unleash the cannons of fury. And no, I'm not talking about the conversation between Governor Swan and Norrington regarding this unanswered marriage proposal. Explosions, bodies. No, still not talking about this marriage proposal. Are happening all over Port Royal and Fort Charles. We learn from the prisoners that the Black Pearl has been preying on ships and settlements for near 10 years. Minute 31 begins with one of the prisoners telling Jack that the Black Pearl leaves no survivors. Captain Jack Sparrow, in all his wisdom, says, No survivors? Then where do all the stories come from, I wonder? as the Pearl continues to fire cannonballs on Port Royal and Fort Charles. The minute ends as two rather interesting pirates come ashore with the other Black Pearl crew members. As we focus on these two guys, we see, pun intended, that one is holding and removing a splinter from a wooden eye, just before he plops it back into his empty eye socket. (laughs) That's a nice image, huh? The pirate crew converges on Port Royal in all their creepy glory. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> thanks you, for messing that up for me by the way I, yeah <laughs> let me remove a splinter from my eyeball and then i'm gonna pop it back in my eye and then it's gonna swivel about <laughs> That's it's not connected to anything but it's gonna swivel Hey, we don't criticize those kinds of things. But yes, it's true. He would not really be able to swivel that eye around unless he's got some funky nerve endings and muscles going on in there that we don't know about. His, his eyelid may be very dexterous and is able to, to maneuver that thing. Maybe. That's a pretty talented eyelid. Yeah. So. got to be pretty strong, too. <laughs> Optometry Talk 101. Or ophthalmologist so, talk, actually. The first thought I had, did this pirate just shove his eyeball back in his eye? <laughs> yeah, he obviously has a fake eye, and I'm guessing wounded in battle at some point. I'm assuming that he lost his eye during battle or a pirate fight, and therefore he needed a wooden eye to fill it in. He didn't want to go with the traditional and highly authentic eye patch. He wanted to he go wanted with the wooden something eye. Something filling the socket. That's right. <laughs> and it's wooden. Well, would you think that they had actual good prosthetics back in the 18th no, but century? It sounds so uncomfortable. <laughs> it just sounds uncomfortable. Well, no one said that's why he's getting the splinters out and stuff. He's got to make sure it's smooth. He should really take some sandpaper to that thing, probably. He should, probably. 
I know you wanted to go with eyeballs. Wooden eyeballs is an opening, which is not bad necessarily. And we can continue to go down that road if you have more eyeball talk. No, I, I, I think I'm done. Well, I'm done with the eyeball talk for right now. Okay, so we'll we'll circle back to these guys. And, yeah, you know we can. We'll talk more about them. Introduce them because that's not really where things start. No, with them. I just had to mention the eyeballs. Yeah, because they're they're really at the end of this minute. Yeah, for all practical purposes. So if we we sometimes try to have some semblance of organization when we're doing this, not really like a chaos theory <laughs> happening here on air. That I, was still in the intro though. Well, so it was okay. It was in the intro. Well, this whole minute is kind of an intro. <laughs> I mean, we're talking only 60 seconds here, and then we got to discuss all of this. Yeah, I don't even know where you're going with that. <laughs> I'm just going to pretend that that just didn't happen. Okay. Anyways, I was going to suggest that we kick things off with some cliches. And there are two blatant action and adventure film cliches that pop up in this minute. Did you happen to notice those? Where were they? I didn't... Go ahead and tell that me. That was the and... question to you. And if you don't know, you can't say, <laughs> I don't know. hey, give me give me a cheat sheet. That was basically what you're doing. You're like, hey, I don't know. What what are they? No. Or is it, I have, isn't this the way that all bad stories go? I heard stories, but there were no survivors left. So where do all the stories come from? Yeah, so that's one of them. The first one, so we'll just start with that one, is the no survivors idea. Yeah. Probably the first movie I remember that tackled a no survivors legend is Goonies. Mainly because oh, yeah. I was growing up in the 80s or late 80s, and I wish I could say 90s, but no. <laughs> so we'll just say the 80s You were the still 80s growing up in the 90s. Yeah, that's true. Kinda. <laughs> for, yeah, I was, actually. Yeah. So yeah, You were still God. in your teenage oh, years. Boom. Thank you for that. Now I can't be mean to you for like a whole show or something like well, that. Well, we're I'll... pretty much the same age, so I've taken all the <laughs> childhood years <laughs> so, I can. So you're t- <laughs> This is only out of self-preservation for you. This isn't actually trying to be nice to me. You're like, wait a second. If I'm nice to him by default, then I'm nice to myself. <laughs> Anyways, like I said, it's the first movie I remember this kind of no survivors legend idea and this cliche, if you want to call it that, is in Goonies. So the Goonies, they're rummaging around the attic. Mikey says that one-eyed Willie's men were all killed when they buried this treasure and when they they slipped away. And then Chunk chimes in, yeah, wait a minute, Mikey, but if he killed all his men, how did the map or the story get out? <laughs> and so that's my first time I think I really remember hearing this kind of idea in a movie. Yeah, but it is something that's just out there everywhere. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what's going on here. And in Pirates of the Caribbean, the prisoner says... The Black Pearl never leaves survivors. And Jack responds, where do the stories come from, I wonder? Yeah. So I was surprised at first because I was expecting Jack to maybe help perpetuate the myth or the legend of the Black Pearl. But then I remembered his conversation with Murtaugh and Mulroy. He did say that the Pearl was faster than the Interceptor, but it was Mulroy who actually cited kind of the legend. It wasn't really Jack who was perpetuating it. Right. He just said he started the conversation, but he didn't really get into all the details. So I think Jack works the system when it benefits him and he aids the myth of the pearl and at other times he dabbles in reality and doesn't really get into it. Yeah. Maybe he was just trying to prove he's smarter than the other pirates and or other undesirables yeah, what, yeah, in the is, prison. It's like he's trying to establish himself as the leader and maybe that's because he's kind of, well, maybe that's because he's a captain. Maybe he's and looking as, for a crew. And as a captain, well, that's possible. As a captain, he's showing that leadership and that strength yeah. and... You guys are just being silly. How is this possible? Yeah. You know, think about what you're, think about what you're saying. 
And then the guy goes, Yeah, maybe he's really oh, looking. He's thinking, he's like, right. I need a crew, so I need people to trust me. Yeah. And then they'll he's follow me. He's looking for a ship. He needs a crew. That's a good idea. Yeah. Glad I thought of it. Good the, job. Thank you. The other cliche I had is the child in danger who's all oh, alone. Oh, yes. So the second one, as I said, is this lone child and it's left in the middle of the road when all hell is breaking loose around him or her. And that's kind of what you see in a lot of different movies. So crying and afraid, the child is suddenly whisked away just in time to be saved from falling debris, crumbling buildings, a monster, or insert any other large heavy object from your favorite action or disaster movie. Yeah, Red Riding Hood came into my head. Red Riding Hood? Yeah, there was a movie or TV show we were watching for a while, and it was like a Red Riding Hood. There were werewolves or something, and no, you don't remember this? That's a movie. Okay, must have been a movie then. It was a regular movie. Yeah, it was a movie, and I can't okay. think. I can't think of the name of and it. And there right was now. a child in the street there, and kid. Somebody had to pull him out just in time. Okay, if you have an example, then we'll go That's for what it. That's popped I can't into my head. I can't remember what the name of that movie is right now, though. But it, it's been a while. But it was a Red Riding Hood take on it. Yeah. Where it was really Grandma was out in the forest. That's right. Yeah, that's what you're thinking of. You're thinking yeah. of this this story. So yeah. Yeah, and her dad was around, but yeah, it was her dad. That's yeah. right. So you're not insane, and I didn't think of that reference. If there's one in there with a child in there, but that's the same thing. That's what we're looking at. The child is, I mean, the, sometimes the child is saved by the hero of the movie. Other times it's by a bystander or somebody that's just running by. But the idea is the same. It's create attention, element of danger. Instantly connect the audience with the perils of what's happening on the screen. And the idea is that using a kid or an animal usually works well in this situation to create that emotional response. We have more compassion for children and animals. That we do. <laughs> that we do. At least we, yeah. Adults are ex- expendable. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? <laughs> and so here in Pirates of the Caribbean, we have a little boy crying in the road, and he's picked up by a woman before a cannon blast a nearby building, which would have sent this concrete, rocks, plaster, and all this other debris down on him. Cliché installed. <laughs> Those are the only two that I saw in this minute or that really hit me as blatant ones. And then, kind of on that same topic, is this kind of Pirates of the Caribbean reference, or Pirates of the Caribbean ride reference or Easter egg. So do you think that we can call the cinematography on the Black Pearl an Easter egg or a callback to the ride? And what I'm talking about is we get a zoom-in shot of the cannons firing. Uh-huh. And it just is reminiscent to me oh. of the ships on the ride. Yeah. So it's not an overt reference like, say, the prison dog and the prisoners trying to get the key. But it's like a nice touch, at least in my own mind, maybe. Yeah, actually it is. Because you have the Black Pearl firing on the fort... And then you have the town all in fire. So I think it's it's exactly like the ride. Because I just watched all the different rides from all the different Disneylands. Nice. <laughs> you do have the pirate ship shooting at the fort. And then you go into the city that's all on fire. That's right. Yeah. So it is this whole scene is a a reference back to the move to the ride. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I think when I think of Pirates of the Caribbean and the ride is when you're in that boat, at least in the original Disneyland version that I've been on, 
is that because of the way you're situated in that, you go right past those those pirate ships that are firing cannons back Over and forth head, at each other. Basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so when you look, especially as a kid and you look up, you can see the side of the ship and the cannons kind of moving back and forth as they're firing and then glowing and smoke and all that kind of stuff. Yes. Well, I think that from what I've seen, it looks like they're firing. It's one pirate ship firing on the fort and then the fort's firing back. Yes. Speaking of the ride and the Black Pearl, I mean, this is really our first pirate ship with cannons blazing. Destruction in the town, pirates coming ashore, pirates coming ashore to take Port Royal. It's a true pirate movie moment here, I think, that we're seeing actually in this particular minute. That it is. And checking back in with Benerson Little, and he's the author of the book Golden Age of Piracy, he provides a rather apt description of reality, and I thought it'd be a nice introduction because we are seeing our first real pirate ship in action here. He describes black and bloody flags, cutlasses waved in the air, and fearsome angry faces, no matter how often they were successful, were still insufficient at times to compel surrender at sea, and in particular ashore. Like we are seeing in this particular minute, in such cases, the practical execution of arms was required, and given that pirates were, by definition at the time, thieves on or from the sea, armed vessels were indispensable to the piratical goal of profit by force of arms. He does a really good job at describing why they actually needed to go to other ships or go on to shore. I mean, they could fly all these flags, they could really be fearsome and threatening, but, you know, sometimes it just wouldn't work, and heck, you know, how are you going to rape, pillage, and plunder without actually, say, going ashore if that's right. what you're there to do? I don't think that they're going to be just willing to to boat out all the stuff. So you're going to want to go there and look for yourself. So, I mean, there are some just common sense stuff of being a pirate on, on that that you need to take advantage of. But the common image of a pirate ship and its prey is of the pirate in his galleon attacking Spanish treasure ships. But this is really more of a Hollywood-created myth than substance. And when we see the Black Pearl, oftentimes we get the common image of a pirate ship and its prey is that of a pirate in his galleon attacking a Spanish treasure ship. But this is really more a Hollywood-created myth than it is substance or reality. Well, that is the case in regards to at least the mid-18th century pirates where this Pirates of the Caribbean takes place. Essentially, we are confusing symbols and images of one era with another that image I just described was more reality in the late 16th and early 17th centuries as pirates did attack galleons and sometimes even sailed them. So it's not that it's completely fabricated. There's just some liberties that have been taken for the film or for pirate films in general, you know, that have been made across the years. So it's no secret that Hollywood does take liberties or exaggerate things for sure. And definitely it's the case in Pirates of the Caribbean. And they've admitted that they have done some... Stuff like that, just by the fact that there's no real firm date, that there's kind of a loose right. era that we're, that we're working in here. It's more of a Hollywood mashup designed to deliver great, familiar, and romanticized pirate stories and obviously make box office dollars. So right. that's, that's really what we're It's more entertaining that way. That's right, exactly. Yeah. And that's the whole thing. That's strange, but they actually want to make money and bring people to the, to the audience. And it is to the very theaters. strange. Yeah, it is. I thought yeah. they were just doing that as a donation. <laughs> so the pirates coming out off the ship, they are yelling and running and they're got their arms in the air with their swords and they're just like going crazy. I guess trying to scare people. Exactly. You know, got fake teeth in and everything trying to, you know, scare people and stuff. That's exactly right. It's part of that whole threatening thing. You got to have that presence that you're scary and 
you better roll over and don't try to fight me. Yeah, so I found that kind of interesting. Yeah, and it's that whole scene, and I think, you know, getting back to what you were just talking about in the film sequence, and this is some behind-the-scenes stuff, we have a mix of Caribbean location and Universal Studios production lot work that's been seamlessly comprised or seamlessly put together to comprise this attack sequence. The easiest way to tell the difference between the two locations is beach and water means Caribbean and Port Royal scenes, you know, the town, if you will, uh-huh. is Universal Studios. And apparently the approach of the Black Pearl, cannon fire, or at least the initial cannon fire, and approach of the pirates was done in one take with multiple cameras. They did actually do a second take for insurance reasons. I mean, they wanted to have a, a second reel. <laughs> you know, that's just in case something happened to it. You don't want to be like, oh my God, what happened to that? <laughs> It's probably a good idea. You know, the, the dog holding the keys decides to, you know, run off with the yeah. film and then it's all destroyed and then they, they don't have that. So, yeah. So, they did end up doing it in one take, which is pretty amazing for everything that's going on. At least we're talking about the Caribbean stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, people rolling in, cannons blazing and all this activity going on and they did it one shot in all these different camera angles, which is really cool. That's so they awesome. All these pirates. It must have been a pretty good sight to see to you yeah. know, have all these people rowing up in boats with all this makeup on. and oh, Well, and these... it just looked like chaos. That, exactly. <laughs> I don't even know how you go about planning something like that, yeah. how detailed that is. It's like you go here or you run here and you got to talk to all these different guys out there. It's, yeah. It's pretty crazy stuff. And talking about pirates, did you want to go over Pintel and Rigotti? Or yeah, sure. Them? Go for it. We have Pintel and Rigotti. Those are our two pirates that come to shore with the the one with the eyeball and his friend. Yeah, the ones we really focus in on. Yeah. They 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 play a big part in the movie to come. This um, is their official introduction yes. in The Curse of the Black Pearl yeah. that we'll see later on in the films, but right now they're getting their their first screenshot, if you will. Yes, exactly. And they're kind of like Mulroy and Murtog. Yeah, that's right. I call know. them the evil Mulroy and Murtog. <laughs> yeah, the evil. Yeah. <laughs> so, Rigotti is actually a British native. His name is Mackenzie Crook, and he's the guy that has the false eye. Gotcha. And then Pintel is a, a U.S.-born Lee Arnberg. I hope I didn't totally mess up his name, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Much like um, Mulroy and Murtaugh, these two also hit it off right away. They're inseparable both on and off screen. So they're like best friends, just like the other two became. Huh. Well, I think they probably work so closely together yeah. that they end up hanging out together. And then plus if they're doing takes, because they're always together, although we don't know quite what they're doing, we're assuming that they're going to be kind of that anti-Mulroy and Murtaugh duo that are going to always be seen together. You're not going to see one without the other. Yeah. That during takes or breaks during takes or their scenes, they're going to just be sitting there hanging out together. Or even during the scene, they're always hanging out together. So I think that's kind of a natural friendship that forms for yeah. sure. Pintel or Lee says that the luckiest thing that happened to him is that they couldn't find a short, bald, and crazy guy in London who was the right match for McKenzie. Oh, yeah. So when they're doing the casting, they're putting them together to see who's going to work with each other best. Yeah. So they ended up finding him in the U.S., Rather than in London. For his luck, they couldn't find anybody in London. (laughs) Rigotti's eye. So this eye became an actual... It becomes an actual star in itself. It's almost got a mind of its own. It does its own thing. As you can see, he's got it in his hand and he's pulling splinters out. And then shoving it back in his eye. But this this eye's pretty special. (laughs) It did cause him a bit of discomfort, but it was also great for his character. 
Yeah. I can you know, see that. it was it was part of him, so Well, they used like it wasn't actually so there was some CGI for movement yeah. and some of these things and some of the craziness that happens, but there was also some contact lenses that they used to help create that. This eye was made with both a hard and a soft contact lens. And they were kind of sandwiched together. Yeah, that doesn't seem comfortable. No. And it, I guess the hard one was really big. And so it was, yeah, it it was, was. really uncomfortable. Yeah, it was. I think I've seen some behind the scenes look of it. And it was a fairly large contact lens. It was like a full eye coverage. That way you could see all the detail or discolored that whole, all the visible part of his eye. Right. Also, when they were put together, when the soft lens was put on, he couldn't actually see through that eye. Huh. And so I guess his walking and stuff was kind of off. Well, that gives But some, it kind of played with yeah, his character. Exactly. That so. just helps with the the character and how he would actually have had that he would ha- he wouldn't have that depth perception yeah, possibly. That's so. exactly what they said. So he kind of made him walk a little weird and you know have help with his character, I guess. Sounds so good. That's what I got for the two. Well, Lee and, and actually Mackenzie were both in the three Pirates of the Caribbean films and they played these same characters Pintel and Rigotti. But getting back to Lee, he played actually Mike in a couple episodes of Seinfeld and has also built up quite a resume of acting credits that include some TV, recent TV work on Once Upon a Time as one of the seven dwarfs, actually Grumpy. So you oh, may see him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so you may see him out there. He's, he's still doing that. I actually remembered him from Seinfeld when he played Mike. I think he was doing the parking lot scene and then the Susie one when he gets his thumbs broken. Yeah, so anyways, if you're a Seinfeld fan, go check it out. That, that's <laughs> that's our one of our pirates there. He's Mike. And then also Mackenzie. He too has been keeping busy, mostly with some uh, BBC television series stuff. He also played Orrell in Game of Thrones. So in case you Game of Thrones people out there, you might see him in that or some replay episodes, if you will. Huh. So yeah, they've been keeping busy. And it is actually too bad that they're not returning for Dead Men Tell No Tales. Uh, it would have been nice to oh, see them yeah. back. Especially since we might be seeing Murtog and Mulroy back. I know we talked about uh, Mulroy coming back, was it? And then Murtog may not. There's some discrepancy on his IMDb page. but So we've had a couple different sources. One say he is and one didn't really reference him. So it'll be interesting to see if they come back. But it's too bad that our pirate buddies here didn't come back yeah. as well. So the universe won't quite be fulfilled if we have the good duo, but the bad <laughs> yeah. duo is not there. So. <laughs> So that's a shame for that, that if that's going to happen. Because it would have been nice to see them come back. Yeah. I wanted to mention, when the cannons are firing on the town, and this is where we see the actual bodies are like flying in yeah. the air. And you see quite a few of these. And it's not so much, um, you know, normal action movie-like. It's more, I want to say more, almost cartoony-like. Really? Did you notice that it no. wasn't? It wasn't totally. It wasn't totally within the action realm. You know, complete hurt Gore action. Gore feelings. Poor Jerry. No, Brokheimer I Gore no. Verbinski. I'm not saying. I'm saying it's more. I'm not saying it's funny, but I'm. It's a. <laughs> There's now laughing at people exploding. No, Is that what you're saying? It was. It just it seemed more. Co- yeah, it seemed more comical. Then actually, I don't oh, know I if it's just the way that. I was viewing yeah, it. Yeah, it must have been the way you were viewing it. Cause I it just, just got, saw... got me more comical than, you know, blowing up people. I don't know. Well, Could be just got, me. Now you got insight into Heather's personality. It's like <laughs> we're having these segments. It's like the do we edit it out or not? 
it's just the same thing with the the conversation between Estrella, the maid, and Elizabeth, and we get her character development recently. Now we're seeing some behind-the-scenes stuff of Heather's character development where she's busting up because soldiers are getting blown up and knocked off forts and buildings and townspeople. So I wasn't busting up. I was just saying it wasn't complete murderous type look. You know what I mean? Well, I, there, I mean, there's there's no, like, it's not like a gratuitous horror film slasher thing there's just explosions and people are dying <laughs> i don't know how you, you i know, don't you know make that funny so i hey, don't know it just you're entitled seem to like, your own comedic opinion here it just didn't seem like the normal explosion people flying thing it just seemed a little different to me but it could be just me okay i don't have any problem with that you sound like you do i don't <laughs> I know what you're going to do. You're going to go view it again and go, yeah, she's crazy. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm thinking, what I'm thinking is, is that maybe if you have a good psychiatrist out there that you want to send me your name, then I can have Heather checked out of why she wants to laugh at people exploding no, or being exploded by cannonballs. It just didn't seem... Doctor, I really find it funny when cannonballs explode and soldiers go flying off forts. Maybe that's what it just, it just wasn't more of a war movie type explosion people flying type look maybe because of the colors you know is more colorful it was more i don't know i think you should quit when you're ahead we'll be back tomorrow with minute 32 of the curse of the black pearl on the pirates of the caribbean minute until then let's keep the horn swoggling to a minimum i really need some grog now yeah for joining us on Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. If you like the show, then leave us a review on iTunes. We'd appreciate it, matey. You can contact us at podcast at blackpearlminute.com. We just might feature your questions and comments on future episodes. Visit us online at blackpearlminute.com. You can also find us on facebook.com slash pirates of the Caribbean minute, twitter.com slash blackpearlmen, and on soundcloud.com slash pirates of the Caribbean where we post additional content, have episode discussions, and share our favorite show clips. Now see you next time, scallywags.